Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Episode 31 of The Bowery Boys, The Castle in Battery Park. Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to The Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And we are back for another duo episode we are going to the southernmost tip of that's manhattan right. that's right we've been all over this town we've been up to the bronx and now we're going down to the battery <laughs> as they like to say in song this is battery park and its primary landmark castle clinton what we call castle clinton today but it's gone through many different and strange variations and even kind of spectacular and star studded it saw all, every star of the 19th century has gone through there and every new american from a certain period of time has also went through there it was yeah it was a bustling place in the 19th century and continues in its newest incarnation in the 21st century we've got the whole story today stick around we're going down to the battery Okay, Greg, so we're prepared to go down to the battery. Yes. Uh, Before we get into the whole history, I thought you might take a second to, you know what? Situate situate the the listener. listener. Um, I'm actually going to preface preface before situating. This, we will not be touching on to Battery Park City. Right. Battery Park City, which is, of course, that sort of prefab neighborhood that was built in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And you say that without any scorn or disdain. I love Battery I mean, that, Park City. Right. As, a, as a matter of fact, I want to do a whole, we need to do a whole podcast on it. So we're going to kind of sort of cut it out of this. So there's a lot to say about Battery Park City. And so we'll say it in another, another podcast. One. But yeah. Battery Park itself, the actual park, it's the 21 acres. It's literally on the southern tip of Manhattan. It's dominated by Castle Clinton, which is the old fort, which we'll talk about in a minute, that was used today primarily as a ticket office for Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty for the water taxis that go over there. Battery Park is bordered on the west by Pier A, which is this rustic, closed down, but very kind of cool looking old nostalgic building that was built in 1886. That's the green one. It's under renovation right now. Correct. And they're actually have just recently decided they're going to do some stuff with it and actually kind of use that as the t- as the new ticket office. And it has that really beautiful clock tower. Right. Um, on the east side of Battery Park, there's Battery Gardens Restaurant. It was a, ni- it was a nice place to eat. And there's a little beer garden over there, yeah. too. Very lovely. Um, and if you keep going further, you run into the Staten Island Staten Ferry. Staten Island It's right there. Now, of course, strewn about uh, the lawn are many different statues and different memorials and tributes. Monuments, we'll walk through right. some of those at the end of the podcast. Of course, the Battery Park that we have today actually 
didn't really exist back in the beginning of the founding of Manhattan. Um, We're not saying that the park didn't exist. The, the actual land didn't exist. Literally wasn't there. It's, right. a, it's, a, it's a park made of landfill. But there was a semblance of Battery Park. Why don't you take us back to the very beginning, Tom? Well, if we flash back for a second to 1623, if you'll permit me. we have the <laughs> Back to 1623, 1623, yes. we have the Dutch landing on Manhattan Island, and they name it New Netherlands, or they name the colony New Netherlands and the city New Amsterdam, of course, and they established a fort right up along the coastline there on the southern tip, which is today where, I guess, the Customs House. Correct, where Customs the Alexander House. Hamilton Custom House is. And that would be Fort Amsterdam. Now, mm-hmm. this area would be sort of their administrative offices, and I can imagine just across the street, which is now Battery Park, sort of mm-hmm. the main entrance to it, there was a bit of a green right there in a small park and a promenade but there wasn't as you say much more than that because the landfill hadn't happened yet so it just sort of ended there tom i even heard that the dutch name for battery park yes at that time was you know i'm not going to say this correctly capska hook Mm -hmm. um from cap c which was um the lenape term for a rocky ledge so You, you even heard that I had heard that, you know. It was on <laughs> you just one of the things you hear. Right. <laughs> you know, when you're walking down the street, I, I just hear, oh, Capska Hook. I have to remember that. Yeah, that the so Capska Hook, right, <laughs> Hook, um, yes. was then captured by the British. The fort became Fort James, and we go back and forth. The Dutch take over the uh, colony again, and then the British finally come and kick it out. It wasn't until 1683, under the British, when Fort James would get its first little cannon placed outside of it, and that cannon would be part of a battery or uh-huh. protective battery sure. that would be stationed outside of the fort, hence the name. So now we have this battery and we have British rule and all as well. Well, you know, of course, as we know, the, uh, the new Americans ran the British out of New York City eventually Hoo-ha. in uh, 1783. And what they, ca- they call that day evacuation day. That's the very last day that the British were in town. They were booted out. And they had a huge celebration here at at Battery Park. It was the last shot was literally fired by the British as they were just leaving. They said, "See you later." A final toot farewell. You know, but the last they 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 thought they had a trick up their sleeve. The last kind of British indignity involved putting a Union Jack, their flag, um, atop a greased flagpole, where uh, the New Americans, you know, couldn't take it down. In in theory, Those however, pranksters. I know. I mean, you have to give it to them to leave with at least a sense of. Well, it's a, yeah, just a little like kind of flipping us off. However, one one young American by the name of John Van Ardsdell did manage to shimmy on up and pull that flag down before the British even left harbor. Battery Park for at least over a century afterwards would have this like a greased pole contest in Battery Park every year on the anniversary of Evacuation Day. Wow. Um, it would usually be a big drunken celebration. I mean, like literally all the way up until the right before the World War One. In fact, on the 100th anniversary, they even had a, dis- a descendant of Ardsdell like, that would shimmy, shimmy up. up the pole. Yes, exactly. Well, I think if anybody is listening from the New York Historical Society, why would they be? Or from the, <laughs> from the Battery Park Conservancy, 
we should encourage you to perhaps bring back the shimmy contest. <laughs> Please, I think it would be a blast. And, you know, a few beers shimmying up a grease pole. There's no lawsuits involved <laughs> there, day I'm in sure. The park. Now, by the way, in uh, 1788, they really didn't have a need anymore for this Fort James. So what they did, which I find this kind of remarkable, is they, they tore it down, but using the materials of Fort, uh, Fort Amsterdam, Fort George, I'm sorry, Fort George. Yeah, there were so many different forts. I mean, it's the, the, the name swapping went back and forth between the Dutch and the, the yes. British. So they, they took the parts of the fort and they actually turned it into landfill to expand Battery Park. So when you're actually walking down, and this isn't the full expansion, but this was like the first expansion, so it, it became a little bit larger. So when you actually walk around the, the northern rim of Battery Park today, you're actually walking on the remains of Fort Amsterdam. Which is, so that might have been the end of one fortification, but a new one one uh, is in the near future here in 1808. They decide to build another one. Well, because, of course, our young and fragile new country uh, needed to defend itself and its big city. It became very necessary to protect the harbor, and they decided to build a fort, which they would call the West Battery. Okay. This is the part of the story I love. This, this section, too, the, the castle section, the, the fort section, takes place between 1811 and 1824. This fort originally called the West Battery, was Uh not on land. It wasn't even in Battery Park, but it was 200 feet off the shore. So they they built it out in the water, and then they built a land bridge connecting the two. That's really quite amazing. And it even had like a drawbridge, correct? Correct. I mean, so you could just like seal up the people inside, and, and they could just sit there and defend us from... Unknown terrors in the harbor. Incredible. This fort that we're talking about would later be called, named Castle Clinton, after New York's mayor, DeWitt Clinton. Not, after, later, not after Hillary or not Bill. After, <laughs> <laughs> no, not after Hillary or Bill, but in fact, DeWitt Clinton. So if you imagine that castle, still down there, you can still see the remnants of this sure, castle. Sure, sure. But at the time, that land that it's situated on, and you can see where it is today, was actually 200 feet out into the water. So that gives you an idea of the massive amount of landfill that has been brought in Mm -hmm. and built around it. Well, it was in a little island in itself. Now, what's amazing, the British never attacked. I mean, there's a series of... Well, because we built the fortification. We built the castle. Well, that one and many, many around, one on Governor's Island, one on Bedloe's Island, all over the place. So we were very well protected. Governor's Island? Oh, yeah. And I'm about to say it again in a few minutes. So, so... Luckily, the British never attacked, and so, curiously enough, no bullet has ever been shot out of Castle Clinton. It was never really used. It was never really tested. After a while, they didn't really need it. So in 1823, it was sort of decided it had very little tactical purpose. It was given to the city. The city then promptly turned and rented it to these two businessmen by the name of Philip French and Christopher Heiser. And thus enters the next chapter of Castle Clinton... 1824 to 1855 as... Castle Garden. Now, Castle Garden is an entertainment complex. It's a performance space. It's a ballroom. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, I love it. It's plucked from today's headlines, really. You know, it's this old defense structure that is no longer needed, and it's turned into a performing arts space. Basically, the center, the center for like partying in New York City back in the day. Um, you know, a, a mixture of Javits Center meets Madison Square Garden. So right. it was completely revamped inside. The interior, where it got its name, it was a fanciful garden, tastefully ornamented in shrubs and flowers. There was a big water fountain inside of it. There was a stage... 
sat 6,000 people in a semicircle. It's difficult to even envision that one. Wait, the 6,000 people were on the stage? Well, we're seated around the stage. Oh, right. And, you know, and just outside of it, like, so, you know, so then you had that walkway, and then right outside of it, there would be these a, a construction of saltwater baths that people could go down to the park and enjoy also. You know, so maybe if they were seeing a show, they could enjoy both the saltwater baths uh, and a, a show. A complex, indeed. <laughs> it really is like a, a massive public space, a public entertainment space. And again, I'm sorry, but the space was enlarged, though, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, the, the ruin that we see today when we walk down to Battery Park. Well, but it was much larger. It, right. It, so it, they it, made it bigger. They expanded the, the fort. As a matter of fact, there was sort of a second story and there was a walkway that went around it that was also very popular that you could get wonderful vistas of the harbor. And some very famous people performed, were brought to New York, uh, and not only performed on stage as a singer, dancer, magician, you know, mesmerist, but also (laughs) uh, inventors who were showing off their latest wares. Well, in 1824, in fact, the very first full year in which it was open, no less than the Marquis de Lafayette was feted there Ah, on a gigantic uh, celebration for the city, because he he, he started... Yeah, why were we celebrating Lafayette. Well, you know, he uh, is one of the last remaining living people from the American Revolution. He was close friends with George Washington. And so people really associate him with George Washington at this at this time. He's going on an entire tour of all the American states, and he's starting here in New York City. So every state wants to, like, do the best party. So New York starts with this one of the most sumptuous parties that New York has probably ever thrown. This and that ab- is saying a lot. That really is saying a lot, but they really wanted to impress him, and boy, I think they, they probably did. Amazing. Well, 18 years later, in October of 1842, Samuel Morse, who, of course, was the inventor of the telegraph, put on a demonstration of his new tele- telegraphy invention. <laughs> yes. but now, first, you have to imagine this. So if you can think of Castle Clinton, which is now Castle Garden, yes. looking across the bay to Governor's Island mm-hmm. to Castle William, yes. which is over in uh-huh. Governor's Island, he had gone across before in a rowboat and, and thrown unreeled uh, <laughs> the, the telegraph line. It's so old wow, school. Wow, that's I remarkable. It, you know, between Castle Clinton and Castle William, and then before a crowd, he put on a, a display where he sent the first telegraph from, from one Castle Garden to Castle What William. was the first message? Do you know? The, the first message. Wait, I have it here somewhere. The first <laughs> message. Ah, yes. And I quote, what hath God wrought? <laughs> well, that's like a very uh, audacious thing to say for the very f- first telegraph ever sent. The first message conveyed electronically we say into our podcast that is being digitally <laughs> yes. downloaded uh-huh. was what hath god wrought in wow. indeed samuel but and, isn't the big but isn't the biggest event that happened at castle garden it's not this even i think in my opinion the most notable event that would happen in castle garden is when a, a certain showman named pt barnum would start his american tour of the swedish soprano sensation Jenny Lind. Jenny Lind. This was this was has literally been called the music event of the 19th century. That is no small feat. At least the American. No, can event we just it, respect yes. what you said for a second? Chills. I'm just got chills. I don't know if your windows open or just, or just like a chilling <laughs> event. Jenny Lind. So who was Jenny Lind? Many listeners are probably familiar with Ms. Lind and her repertoire, but many listeners in New York and 
also throughout America, were not familiar Nobody with Jenny Nobody was at the Lynn. time. Right. But, well, people back in Europe were, of course. And in fact, from an early age, she was a favorite of different royal courts. And she was also kind of a, a muse and, well, a tease for many of, <laughs> of Europe's most notable poets and composers. I mean, oh, look, Hans Christian uh, uh, Andersen, Frederick Chopin. Hans Christian Andersen um, actually wrote The Ugly Duckling, inspired by Jenny Lind. <laughs> that sounds like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> so she was phenomenally successful and famous abroad. Now, when Barnum had been over in, in Europe in 1845 on tour with his other big sensation, Colonel Tom Thumb. The midget, the little the, person, the, I mean. The little person. Yes, okay. Uh, who could fill a room. He became familiar with Jenny Lind and was really swept away by her, decided to take her on an American tour and actually had to go through lots of negotiations, paying her, well, it started at $1,000 a day for her performances, mm-hmm. which back then, I mean, was obviously insane. Yes. Yes, she eventually got some profit. She got like her fee after he took out his own fee, then she got the profits mm. of that. So this, that's a lot. That's a, that's a huge deal. That's like... Like Barbara Streisand level yeah. deals here, Dion. you know. Yeah, this this Nightingale knew how to negotiate. <laughs> so that's Jenny Lind, and she put on a couple of very impressive and phenomenally successful performances in Castle Garden on September 11th and September 13th of 1850. Obviously, selling out and making ten thousand dollars on the first night and fourteen thousand dollars on the second performance. Uh, it, that <laughs> was money a hundred and fifty years oh, yes. ago. That's some serious. I mean. I mean, that's that's huge ticket prices. You're right. Yes. That is that's that's Celine Dion Vegas prices right there. And can you imagine? I mean, when Jenny Lind pulled into New York Harbor, over forty thousand people greeted her because P.T. Barnum had done such a great job. Everybody sort of building knew her, up her name reputation, by the time she got course. here, and nobody had known her name before. Well, unfortunately, you know, the party doesn't last for Castle Garden. I mean, it, it was open does. for a long time, but. In around 1855, a sort of a new, a big problem started happening in New York. And basically what that was, was immigration. And, the, you know, so the ships would pull into the harbor. And they used to, like, just literally dock at any old wharf in the city. And it was really unorganized. There was no immigrant processing center. There was no way to quarantine the sick. And there was no way to help out these new passengers. So they would, they would be robbed or, you know. Whatever. It was a bad scene. It was a very bad scene. So what they decided is they decided not to renew French and, and Heiser's lease for Castle Garden because they needed this building for a new purpose, for an immigration center. So on August 1st, 1855, it did become New York's first immigration center before Ellis Island. Uh-huh. So we're talking about Castle Garden, the theater being transformed to an immigration depot. And this, this chapter of Battery Park in Castle Clinton occurs between 1855 and 1890. I mean, this is like a real 180 in terms yeah, of its purpose. Swings again. Now, immigration back then, if you believe it or not, was actually run by the states. And so this was run by the state of New York. It was not under the aegis of the federal government until a little bit later. There was more of a charity component than what Ellis Island would later have, believe it or not. There were about 100 employees, and they'd speak many different languages. But there would be like protection services for new immigrants, a labor exchange program, currency exchanges, boarding house arrangements, religious and medical services. And, the, you know, was this in the same structure as the theater? It, well, yes, it was and literally in the same in the same building. It was clearly divided up inside in, in a very different manner. But yeah, it's, it was in the same space. So you said that the immigration situation was just getting started. Where were these immigrants arriving from? Well, these are 
these are called what they call the old immigration, the the different, wave. different waves of, of immigrants that came over. These are mostly Western and Northern Europeans, um, Germans, Irish, English, right. uh, Russians, Italians, Swedish. By the 1880s, almost 70% of all immigrants into America were being received into Castle Gardens. So there's probably actually a very good chance of the descendants of somebody listening to this podcast right now, that their descendants probably came through Castle Gar- Garden, the Castle Garden Golden Door. A couple things, though, kind of sealed the fate, unfortunately, of this particular phase of the Castle Garden. First of all, in 1876, there was a devastating fire, like everything in New York at this time, it seems to be a fire that destroyed most of the building and it had to be rebuilt. Then, in the 1880s, immigration is really exploding. So in 1882, the federal government steps in, and it's more of a joint state-federal collaboration from 1882 to 1890. In April of 1890, the feds totally take control of immigration in the United States and how it is today. New York City says, okay, well, you got, it's, your, it's your problem. Um, you're not using Castle Garden. We want it back. We want it back. They, they kick out the emigrant center, and eventually the federal government then needs to move it somewhere else. They do eventually move it, to, of course, to Ellis Island. But now we have this empty building there. Now, I should back up a little bit, though, because what's been going on with Battery Park while this has been going on. The area of land that's, what, 200 feet away across a little land bridge and the drawbridge? Because last time we checked in, uh, Castle Garden was in the middle of the water. By the time this stops being an immigrant center, it's it's part of the land now. In 1855, they started adding landfill to make this part of the island. So from 1855 to 1872, it took a really long time to do this because, of course, we're talking the years of Boss Tweed, Tammany Hall, corruption, things taking forever, things costing too much. So it took forever to get this done. But finally, by 1872, Castle Clinton, Castle Garden, was officially part of of the land, like the land of Manhattan. Finally. It had caught up with the city or the city had caught up with, with it. it. Exactly. So where do we go from here? I mean, we've got 1895, the immigrants moving over to Ellis Island. So it was, a, it was like, it was basically a, a defense, a place for defense. It was a place for entertainment. It was a place for immigration. And so, now it's 1896 and we need to go in a new direction. So I have an idea. Yes. What do they do? Let's bring in the fish. The fish. The fish. The sharks. The penguins. We have this old abandoned structure. Let's turn it into the New York Aquarium. Beautiful. (laughs) And that it was from 1896 until 1941. Uh, The Parks Department took over the area. Well, they did some remodeling. McKean, Kim, and White, famous architect, Mm -hmm. came in, did some work, and turned it into a celebrated aquarium that would serve for, what, 45 years, attracting 30,000 visitors on its opening day. 2.5 million visitors a year. Yeah, it was a major site. You know, they went through, I like this fact, 300,000 gallons of water a day. (laughs) You name it, these aquatic animals were down there. There were sharks, uh, eels, penguins, alligators. In fact, you know, many of these were actually obtained from ship captains who would... (laughs) 
sort of befriend the parks department officials and say, oh, yeah, we actually just picked up a penguin on our, our voyage across, uh, you know, the Arctic. Something about that seems unsafe to me, but I guess that's what well, they a, did back then. <laughs> but it's a flashback, right? Remember the Central Park Zoo? I mean, people yes, were just exactly what they did. keeping tigers in their apartments till they realized that an apartment was no place for a tiger. And just pulled it up into the, uh, the zoo or the aquarium and said, here you go. Yeah, a ship is no place for a penguin. So well, they drop it off and... We get up to the 1940s and all, well, all well, isn't so I well. Hate, well, I hate to be the person who once again says the fun is over again for Castle Garden, or in this case, the City Aquarium. And I hate to bring up his name, but oh, no. we are at that time with the podcast where we must mention the name Robert Moses. For in 1941, Robert Moses wants to build the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel underneath the land that is Battery Park. That would be a tunnel that and would serve. And he would build it. And he would build it. Sure. And we we love that it's it's there. I think it's important. Anybody that it's there. who's been on the west side and in a cab or you're driving and you you know all of a sudden you go underground under the Battery Park yeah. and next thing you know you're over on the Hudson. You, if you're going to do all this massive construction under the ground, it's probably not prudent to have big tanks of aquatic animals above above it Penguins. so but he wanted to go a step further he didn't want to just like kind of get rid of the aquarium he wanted to get rid of the entire structure that was castle garden castle clinton because people were having fun except people were having too much fun the quote as a, the, the sterling quote from mr moses there is no resemblance between the removal of the aquarium and the scuttling of old ironsides and the new plan for battery park the aquarium is an ugly wart on the main axis leading straight to the statue of liberty there is more honest to god romance any early morning at the fulton fish market than in the aquarium in a month of sundays so a romantic at heart here uh, what a you know, but luckily, like a lot of things that Robert Moses tries to attack and, and tear down, there was a huge community backlash led, believe it or not, by Eleanor Roosevelt. Well, I do believe it because Eleanor also helped lead a fight along with Jane Jacobs and some others against Moses when he tried to plow through and destroy Washington yes. Square Park. So, you know, thank God for, you know, Eleanor the, in 1946, the Castle Clinton building was finally turned into a national landmark. However, yes. they had already kind of started demolishing it. And so a lot of the upper floors were destroyed. Basically, every feature that had essentially been added since its construction was gone. You literally had basically the, the brick fortification and a few features inside, and that was about it. Which Still is amazing remaining. because that is what is remaining today. It was called a national monument in 1946 by uh, the passage of a law in Congress. Mm -hmm. It took Congress basically to really to save stop it. Yeah. Moses. When you visit Battery Park today, the structure that you find really is all that's left of the original, as Correct. you say. And w what's in there today? Well, they sell tickets to take the ferry to the Statue of Liberty mm -hmm. and uh, to Ellis Island. There's and there's a, also a little exhibit. There's a little there. exhibit that shows you a little bit of this history because the history is so fascinating. But that's just the history of Castle Clinton. And you can still go there and visit it and it's free. But we should give our listeners a very brief kind of little walk through Battery Park. Some of our favorite memorials and statues and things that are sitting around there. There are literally dozens of memorials and you can spend the day visiting one after another. For instance, um, there is something on the north end called the Netherlands Monument. It's on the north end of the park. It was dedicated in 1925 and was a gift from the people of Holland. 
to we New Yorkers to honor sort of the New York's Dutch forefathers, and in particular Peter Minuit, who, if you'll recall, was the one who kind of quote unquote bought Manhattan Island from the Lenape Indians. Mm. So that's to celebrate that. Right next to it is something from a, a more recent history. That would be the Sphere by Fritz Koenig, which was rescued from the World Trade Center site. It was actually not terribly damaged, and it was saved from uh, you know the wreckage and moved over accompanied by an eternal flame. There's, of course, like the main monument that's down there. It's called the East Coast World War II Monument, which was dedicated in 1963. And it has this really beautiful granite eagle and these gigantic slabs with tons of names on them of the fallen soldiers who had died during the war, specifically on the, in the Atlantic waters of mm. the war. And these are just a few of the things. There's also the Walloon Settlers Memorial. Yes. You'll remember that the Walloons were some of the first settlers who came over. And my favorite one, I have to yes. say, my personal favorite, which sounds a little strange, my personal favorite one is the Korean War Veterans Memorial. It's a fairly new one um, in 1991. It's a 15th foot granite slab basically and it has a silhouette of a soldier cut out of it so it's sort of the opposite of a, of a statue it's sort of the absence of a, of a bodily mm. figure that's cut into this granite and here's the best part about it and i'm totally going down there on this day it works as a strange sort of sundial every july 27th at 10 a.m that's the moment by the way that the korean war ended the sun shines through the soldier's head Ooh. and at such an angle that the sun reflects down and hits this memorial plaque that's on the ground. And so for just a few moments, the sunlight hits this plaque directly. Wow. I mean, it sounds incredible. And um, so it's also just a really striking and a very moving and interesting, unusual monument. We should also add that in Battery Park, you will find many, many tourists lined up to take the ferry over to oh, yeah. Statue of Liberty. You were recently in that line. You know I the was. scene. Sure. And you have a lot going on. There are also musicians and performers. and Lots of people dress like the Statue of Liberty. Right. Take a, of, take a photo with them. Try to make them laugh. Lots of portraitists and things. Gucci bags, knockoff Fendi, Chanel. You Pop, got it. You know, they have popcorn and pretzels and everything. It is a fully functional city park and tourist attraction. That is the end of our survey of Battery Park <laughs> and Castle Clinton. We have something very exciting to share with you. We are now on Facebook. So oh, if you guys Facebook.com. Yes. If you guys have um, an account on Facebook, just make us a fan. Just, and how do you do that? You just search for the Bowery Boys? Just type Bowery Boys into search function. We are little faces will come up and just click become a fan and just you know join the community that's on there. That would be wonderful if you you know if you are a member. We promise we won't spam you. No, uh, no, no, no. It's basically a place where we can share more photos about the different podcasts, keep you updated, maybe show some personal photos. We, we will have some, yeah, all different kinds of photos. We also have some uh, discussions going on, some like message boards and things. And you can just see what other fans of the Bowery Boys look like, you know, what an attractive lot you all are. So <laughs> flattery goes far, doesn't it, with this group? And while we're at it, we should remind you again that, of course, Greg does a great job on the Bowery Boys blog update every day with another post either about or somehow related to this week's podcast or just about new york city history just, just something in found interesting you know it'll be all sorts of different things so just uh check that out it's boweryboyspodcast.com our email addresses are also on there if you want to send us any questions or anything all right so thank you so much for joining us this week with our trip down to battery park have a great new york week whether you live here or not see you next week 
my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities.